J.T. Crowley is Talking Books. On this show, you'll hear from emerging talent and seasoned veterans from around the world. They'll give you their take on the writing process and how to create the secret sauce of page-turning deliciousness. Let's get into that magical mixture of the art and science of creativity. Here's J.T. Crowley, author of The Smart Kids and your podcast host. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Talking Books. This is my new show on webtalkradio.net. And this week, I'm talking once again to David Mamina. He is an award-winning, self-published, dark fantasy author from Long Island in New York. He's been writing for a long time now, uh, considering his young age, and currently teaches history to middle-aged students. His books uh, at the moment are currently his uh, Angels of the Resistance, uh, Protector of Children, and Redeemer of the Night, just to name a few of the books that he's written in such a short span, considering he's only in his 30s, ladies and gentlemen. David, welcome to the show. It is an absolute honor to be back with you, John. Thank you. Oh, you're very welcome. And as we've been discussing over several weeks, we've got quite a bit in common, haven't we? Oh, yeah. David, I want to look at your books. And when I look at them, I get the general feeling that they are in the post-apocalypse, um, um, dark fantasy, and present day. And on the present day issue, uh, there's something I've picked up, and I'm going to come back to that later, if that's okay with you. Why this genre, and why the periods, David? Such a great question. Um, as a young pup, I used to love to play video games and get inspired by the journey um, of the video game storytellers and the video game developers. I used to love the fantasy element to it. Um, but also, uh, something about the dark fantasy genre uh, was very appealing to me because high fantasy was so big uh, in the 80s, but there, was, there were some hints of dark fantasy, and I wanted to explore that more. And what I found was I enjoyed the realism of fantasy. I liked that there is a realism that you can find in fantasy as much as there is fantasy in your real life. And I think the best way to relate any sort of fantasy, uh, as odd as it sounds, is to relate it to what you know. And sometimes what you know in the real world can be scarier than the fantasy world. And when you blend those two together, um, it makes the characters uh, sort of bend to your imagination uh, and as to what you know that you fear. So it kind of makes it easier for you to um, find a common place with the main character um, and the antagonists, because you know too well um, the realism that you're living here is now branching with the fantasy world. And I just happen to love that dynamic. Uh, as far as the post-apocalypse question, uh, that is one of my concerns it was a big concern when i was a kid what is the world going to be like after we're done with it and um the poor survivors afterwards how are they going to make do 
How are they going to uh, endure the mistakes of our past? And can they make the present, which is so glim, um, better in their image? Wow. That's a really strong opening statement there, David. Um, and it's, and it's, as I said, now I can see where the dark fantasy side is coming in. David, do you have fun writing your stories? You know, do you have a funny story to tell us about how you've created your stories? Do you have fun doing it? You know, that is such a great question. You just are full of good questions, as always. People would ask me the same thing. Uh, where do you find time to write this? You teach. I'm sure you have a life afterwards. The one thing about authors like us is you love to write. It isn't a job. It becomes a job after you're done creating the story, creating the struggle, you know, to, to have it edited and to have it marketed and all that. But um, I would have these ideas. And on the way home from work on the train, I would just type them. I would love it. I mean, some people love to sleep in the train, including me. But the idea cannot be kept in. I said I could either sleep or I can create this world. So let me create this world. They're, they're begging me to have life. And I want to be the one to give these characters and these stories life. So um, you, you want to. It's like some people just love to work out. They love to run. I love to write. I love to create. And um, I, I'm not really writing novels as much as I used to. Now I'm writing more short stories. And because I, I don't want to um, sort of commit so much as I used to, because as you said, I'm in my 30s, but I'm getting older and I'm trying to sort of uh, delegate my time. But I still love it. So I made a compromise with myself and I said, you know what? Write, but write short stories. That's uh, fun. Yeah. <laughs> David, before uh, we get on to your book, I want to talk about your book in particular, um, Angels of the Resistance, your last book, if that's okay. But before we get on to that, um, yes, we've met before and we've got an interesting little story about Mr. Sullivan. Do you want to tell uh, the viewers, the people looking at the podcast, all about Mr. Sullivan? Sure. Oh, yeah. Um... So I'm a teacher and I like to inspire my students or I, that's my goal is to inspire them. But when I was a student, um, I would read uh, fantasy books and I, and I also started to dabble into writing. And I had written for a long time. I didn't think it would go anywhere until uh, this English teacher, Mr. Sullivan, got wind that I was writing. And for some reason, he, he sort of took me under his wing. And he said, this is really good. You should really do something with this. And he was such an inspiration to me. Whenever I think of my writing career, when people ask me, where did your, your love for writing come from? I think it was, I had the spark in me, but it was lit by Mr. Sullivan in high school, the English teacher, where he would brag about me to other kids and to other teachers. He just made me feel so good. And he was the beacon that I needed to say, you know what? I can really do this. Maybe I should. And it was a long time coming. It was about five years after that, that I had actually published my first book. Um, flawed as it was, it needed all, all, all sorts of editing. But uh, Mr. Sullivan was my inspiration. Wow. 
and we all need a beacon, don't we? Yeah. David, let's have a look at your book, um, Angels of Resistance. It's quite a meaty book. It's quite a chunky book. Um, <laughs> it's in two parts, and there's lots of bits and bobs to those parts. Um, and you cover up quite a few areas, you know, from faithfulness to the aftermath to incursions to uh, war, madness. There's, there's a lot going on in this book. But um, before I start to, to delve into a little bit about it, I noticed that you've dedicated this book to your brother and you say, this book is dedicated to my brother for whom I never had the honour to meet in person. Thank you, Joseph, and rest in peace. Who was your brother? My brother, Joseph, was born uh, as a triplet with my two other brothers, who are now 10 years old. Well, who, I was 10 years old, rather, when they were born. My apologies. But Joseph didn't make it. Uh, the three of them um, were preemies. And um, I don't think he lasted the week. And uh, I didn't know that. My mother couldn't find it in her heart to tell me. She thought I would really break down and be upset. And when I did find out, I did break down. And I was upset because I thought, you know, I didn't meet him. Uh, I did see my, my other two brothers when they were finally brought home. But I felt he had a name. His name was Joseph. That's my brother. And even though I didn't get to meet him, as I said, I felt that he needs to be honored. He's a member of my family. He's, he's my younger brother still. So even though he has passed on, I felt one of the greatest ways to give homage to him um, and to honor his legacy of, of being in this life is to dedicate the book to him. And I, I just love that I did that. I feel so good every time someone says, oh, who's your brother? Oh, who's Joseph? The name continues. So uh, I feel so good about that. And I do appreciate you you asking me that question because it helps him live on, right? It's important. You know, he, he, he was somebody in your life and that's very important. And it's, and it's a bit like, um, again, we've got something in common here. I um, had a brother called Liam and uh, he was born in 1963. And he, he was born premature, didn't survive, unfortunately. He lived five days, but he was still a brother. So it's something that we both share in common here. Um, you know, we, we lost a brother who we never got to meet, either of us, but they are still part of our families. Absolutely. Absolutely. So David, I, I've looked at your book. I'm gonna move on now. And I'm looking at the, at the prologue to your book under the title of The Primeval Tragedy. And I said to, um, few minutes ago, I'm going to come back to the bit where it says your story is in present day. I'll come back to that issue because I think this is very poignant. And I'm going to read a clip, if that's okay. No one can be sure as to how it all came to an end. There are other theories. Some say that it was a super plague, fast spreading and immune to all vaccines. Others believe that new war enveloped the globe, explaining the various fallout bonkers scattered all about the earth and total destruction of all major cities. The, the third dares to claim the alleged apocalypse on an asteroid that unexpectedly changed course for Earth. What is certain, however, is that their end was tragically inevitable. Are you psychic with regards to the fast spreading and the immunity and the plague and all vaccines, considering where we are in the world today? 
right? Uh, it's fun. You know, a lot of writers uh, can be quite prophetic. Uh, Philip K. Dick, a great uh, science fiction writer, had predicted so much of what was going to come in our age right now. But for me, I'm definitely not a prophetic. I think it's just um, I'm a student of history. And I know uh, the human beings, the human race is very powerful. We don't have any sort of natural uh, predator or enemies um, except for each other when we decide not to work together. And I thought to myself, what could bring us to our knees? And I said, well, a good plague could do that because it's done it before. And the most terrifying type of plague is the one that can um, mutate and is invulnerable to vaccines. We can't find a way. Every time you come up with a vaccine, it finds a way to, uh, to skirt past it in some other way. And that is nature taking a course on us and finding out um, how to sort of take care of us. And it, it certainly did scare me. And I think writers write about what does sort of uh, bother them in the night. You know? And that was one of my things. Um, and of course, all the other issues, you know, uh, warfare, the meteors that can be a threat to us. I thought in the nitty gritty plagues, uh, the plague is going to do it. And look at where we are. You're right. It's so crazy. Oh, absolutely. Um, when I look at your book, David, uh, your main character, Michael. Yes. Michael uh, Muriel. When you, how did you create him? And when you created him, um, did he become um, like a lot of authors you know, when they write their characters? The characters become part of them. You know, they become real. So was he real to you when you were creating him? Yeah, very much so. Um, Michael Muriel was sort of my quintessential character type that I had come up with, that I sort of fell in love with. A man who has such great power, I mean, absolutely terrifying power, and yet all he wants to do is unite um, the world and do good and keep peace. Um, and when he discovers that he is part of the problem of this massive invasion uh, of the, uh, the demon plague, um, he realizes he has a connection to that and it sort of breaks his heart. But it comes to the realization of all of us that we can be our worst nightmare. Um, and sometimes um, what we fear most, we have to find a way to use it to our advantage, to break that fear, find our weaknesses, find our mistakes, uh, sins of our past that maybe was of no fault of our own at the time. How can we use um, the issues that we have now and make them into something greater for the spirit of mankind? And that's why I love about him is he fights his, his demons inside and uh, literal demons that are sort of a physical manifestation of the demons that we all face. And sometimes the only way to destroy them totally or to really combat them is uh, together. Sometimes even with people that we consider our foes, we have to work together. And that's what he manages to, to do. So when you write your story, um, 
do you actually see the scene in front of you as if you were sitting in a cinema watching the film? Oh, yeah. That's how I see it all. Um, I, I sort of play it out and then I say, all right, how do I write this the way I saw it, but not so descriptively that the author is uh, chained to the, little, the literal word. So I want to see it, uh, but I also want the, uh, the reader to see it um, as well in their own way. But, um, but certainly my imagination finds its way to the page. Definitely. Ah, you know, I think certainly you know, when I write my books, that's how I see it. I see the scene, you know, I can see it, set it there, you know, where the characters are, which, who's sitting where. So you're, you're pretty much like me, and I think you're pretty much like a lot of authors as well. Um, but what I want to know also is, I mean, an author is, is also a person who's constantly writing. What's coming down the pipeline in your writing career? What's next? What's next? Well, I've written uh, seven novels, and uh, I've combined some of them, like The Angels of Resistance. I combined two into one. The Redeem the Night trilogy, there were three I put into one. Uh, the Protector of Children is one. Paltronus is one. So now I said, I think I'm done with novels. Uh, I got to take a break from novels, but I still want to write. And I love to write, you know, something that you can't just say, I'm done, I did it. <laughs> you, you can't stop, it's there, it's inside your heart and your mind, and you gotta get it out somehow. So um, I've come to learn that writing short stories is very therapeutic and fun for me. Instead of writing a novel, I say, make it a short story. Some short stories I've written are eight pages, some are like 35 pages. And then, um, then I share them. You know, I, I've created um, a compilation book of them. I've sent them into some contests. I've sent them into some magazines. It keeps me going. It's something that says, look, Dave, you're not done. You still got plenty of stories. Keep them coming. You know, people want to read these things. People want to escape, you know, and in a way, me writing these stories is me escaping too. Yeah. So the reader escapes and so do I. Oh, certainly books are escapism, aren't they? Oh yeah, they're beautiful. I, you, I love books. What do your students think to you writing your stories? Oh, my students are so funny. They're so funny. Uh, you tell one student one thing, and they're like, wow, oh. And then they go and they tell other people, you write books, you're an author, you're famous. Like, whoa, whoa, hold on. <laughs> famous to you in this school. <laughs> I don't know if the fame breaks out of this town, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's so lovely to see the students. All they want to do is uh, just prop you up and, they, they just want to be a part of your journey. It's great. Uh, I love teaching the kids and uh, I love to be an inspiration to them if, if at all possible um, with, uh, with, with what I'm teaching. But when it comes to writing and they find out I'm a writer, it's so exciting to see them want to start writing and they want to read some of my stuff. And I got to tell them, well, there's a couple of things you can read. The rest, uh, you're not ready for that yet. But, <laughs> but um, it, it's been a blast. I, I do love adding that that extra feature into the, the kids' lives, something that they could do that they might be interested in. David, where can people uh, find out a little bit more about yourself? Um, where can they get your books? And where can they buy them from? All right. Uh, well, my website's the best place. And uh, I'm not saying that to, to toot a horn, but um, it's a good place because it's got the best prices of everything. And I'm very conscious of that. I want people to 
uh, have faith that what my stuff is to them would be good. So I want them to get it at the best price so they're not, they don't feel like they're going to be throwing their money away. So I have links to all the books on my website, which is my last name, which is Mamina, which is M-A-M-M-I-N-A books. So it's maminabooks.com. And it's got everything on there. So that's where anybody, if you want to go and um, have a look, David, up, go on his website, go on Amazon, have a look. Uh, but for the time being, David Mamina, thank you for coming on Talking Books. It's an absolute pleasure from one author to another. Thanks, John. You're welcome. Thank you, everybody. Bye. Mm-hmm.